The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 276 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest, this time for the week of April 13th, 2020. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm here with Curtis James Sullivan Jr. That's me. Nick? Oh, old. You're not a junior? Old Kurt Jim. Kurt Jim, they call me. Kurt, Kurt James Jimbo. Your name sounds a little bit like. Uh, someone that assassinated a political leader in the 1960s. If you say the whole thing. Yeah. Yep, I grew up in Ohio, and I definitely assassinated a senator, for sure. <laughs> and and why do I say Ohio? Before. It's just like a Rust Belt state, I guess, is what I was getting at, you know? And if you were going to do it, that's the state that you would pick. Yeah. I, yes. Mm-hmm. We're doing a... Uh, we're doing an early morning podcast early for us we usually don't record in the morning and i was wondering if you do the thing when people when you have to do a work call in the morning and like you've got a little sleep in your voice you know you sound a little you know not you particularly but like all mm-hmm. of us you get yeah. on the phone and the th- someone always without fail on one of those calls will ask you if they just woke you up or if you were just sleeping Mm. Can you do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you feel a little tired? Or did you just wake up? And yeah. it's almost like a challenge. And I think it, that we <laughs> should all stop doing that to each other. If somebody sounds tired on the phone because it's the morning time, just fucking just accept it and move on because it's almost you get a little you get a little defensive like, "No, I don't sleep. I never sleep. I've been up for hours. I'm always <laughs> working." Yeah. And if it, like either don't say it or if you if somebody does say it, the appropriate response is "fuck you," and then yes. we can then we can move on, right? So don't do go. it, <laughs> or you know, like yeah, no, I'm not tired. Fuck you. All right, let's go with our call. All right, back to the <laughs> let's just let's just move right on. <laughs> I actually am so paranoid about sounding sleepy on the phone. This happened to me today because See, I knew th- we were doing this early podcast. I woke up, took a shower, ate breakfast. Did oh some, God, like I, we get I had, it. Well, you took a shower. I had, to, <laughs> I had to fully get ready though, Nick, so I didn't sound sleepy for this call because I'm actually paranoid about being that person. Why do we? Why do we care? This is it's a it's a failure on both of our parts that we care if we sound sleepy. Our response yeah. should be like, "Yeah, I just woke up," and that <laughs> that's that's why I sound sleepy. And that, and that's why I sound sleepy. It's the morning time. I just woke up, and then. Yeah. Uh, it's in that you just take it upon your own ego and your own spirit that someone else knows that you do the human function of sleep and then you move on. I don't want anyone knowing about what I do ever. This is any way. This is how I feel about it, too. And I think we're both wrong. And it speaks to the weakness (laughs) of our character that it bothers us both. But I don't think we're alone. Yeah, no, that's that sounds very, very human. Yeah, no, it it irks me to think that anyone knows that I would ever. Yeah, what I would request is that no one ever say that ever. Then that mm-hmm. you never point out if someone sounds sleepy on the phone. Just don't say anything at all. No, that's that's a good one. And in in real life, because um, 
you know, I always look haggard. People will be like, oh, man, you look tired when I when they see me, too, <laughs> like to my face. That that is on a different level. That's an all, another one. Like, don't don't ever fucking say that. Yeah, I look tired. Thanks a lot. I look old, too. And I look dumpy. Cool. What else you got? You know, this don't is why, bring it up. Th- this is why you're always pointing out that you take showers. This is why I don't look tired. I, that's how I start my conversations when I see people. Hey, how you doing? I'm not tired. I'm extremely awake. And I don't look tired. <laughs> Headed off at the past. Maybe that's it, you know? To Maybe start the phone call, hey, I didn't just wake up. Welcome to the phone call. Yeah, I've been up for hours. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Let's do some know. in the news. I don't Let's know. Let's do it. All right. What do you got on the news, Curtis? Hey, in the news, I got a thing that I wanted to talk about that's been irking me. It's got it's stuck in my craw a little bit since I heard about it, and it's a weird one, and it's a comic shop-like exclusive piece of news, right? DC Comics wants to sell comic books on Tuesdays, and um, this is in an effort to sync up their releases across all channels, they, they've said. so. Okay, 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 hold on, hold on. Yeah, Curtis, yeah. hold on. First of all, you sound are you okay? You sound a little tired. I am wide awake, Nick. Okay, good. That's the first thing I wanted to say. The okay. second thing is I'm just gonna put my hat on. I'm just I'm just Joe read 'em up. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a regular guy on the street and I just uh-huh. read comics and I love spawn and I don't really know what I don't really know what, what DC does or doesn't does. Release dates? What is that? So comic books coming out on Tuesday. Yeah. I'm jo- my name is Joe Read 'em up and I don't care about that. You don't give a shit, huh? Well, let me tell you why you should. Because comic book stores sell all their stuff on Wednesdays. That's new comic book day, Nick. I know about that. I get, My name is Joe Reademup, actually. I don't know who Nick is. I need you to walk into this moment with me. I need you to like play in the space oh, oh, with sorry. Me a little bit. Okay. Look, my name, look is here, Joe, Joe. my name is Joe Reademup, and I do know that comics come out on Wednesday. It's new comic day. I love new comic day. Yeah, it's a tradition. It's a weekly event. It's a magical moment in the comic shop. As That's you know, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So now DC Comics, the maker of such uh, hit comics as, you know, Sugar and Spice and uh, Crypto the Superdog, want to change that day to Tuesday, my guy. Does that mean that I can, just, I can, get, my, I can get my Crypto the Superdog one day early? That sounds cool. Well, not really. I mean, kind of. If you maybe not don't get it at your comic shop. If you go to, like, another store, like a bookstore that maybe has comic books. Then you can get it on Tuesday, but probably not at your comic shop. Whoa, please explain more. Yeah, because the way comic books ship to stores, we get them on Tuesdays, and then we got to get them all ready and unpack them and shit, and then get them ready to be on sale on Wednesday. So it kind of puts us at a disadvantage uh, with these Tuesday releases, right? We can't get stuff ready enough for you. You know, we know you're coming in Tuesday morning. You're hot to trot. You want the latest issue of, you know, Hawk Kids, and maybe we won't have it ready for you. And that sucks because of the okay. way it ships to our store, right? Okay. So, um, furthermore, we used to get stuff a little bit early. We used to get stuff like a week early ahead of bookstores. The big giant chain stores that are like these 900-pound gorillas in the marketplace. And we're these little comic book shops around the country trying to sell these comics. We'd have a little bit of a head start and we would get them early. Now, we'll get them on the same day. And essentially, those bookstores will get them one day early. So the bookstores, uh, like your borders, yes, exactly. Uh, will 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 get 
my, you know, get crypto the super dog, but they don't carry single issue comics, do they? I don't know. That's a good question. I think they carry some. I don't know if they go as deep as like a comic book store, right? But they have some. But when the know? collection comes out for Crypto the Superdog and I'm ready to to go pick it up on my normal Wednesday thing, mm-hmm. I could instead go to Borders Books. Books a Trillion. Yeah. Books a Trillion. Mm-hmm. And get it one day early from a big mass bookstore. You could. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's making me uh, feel fussy. I just got to tell you, Joe. I know you want to get your comics, and you don't you don't care. You want to get them as soon as you can, quick as you can. But like comic book stores are are the thing that built the the industry. Uh-huh. And this is another kind of for me. It's another kind of slap in the face by these big this big publisher, the second biggest publisher in comics, saying, "Hey, um, maybe this this other channel, this mass channel, is slowly becoming the dominant place." where you can get these sort of things. These comic books, these collections of comic books, and not your local comic store. That's so, what it says to me. So this is this is yet another move um, in a series of moves that the industry is making over you know the past few months that, that you think is making things a little bit harder on comic shops and that they're all kind of adding up in aggregate. Exactly. Yeah, we're you know we're competing with online sellers that sell stuff at sometimes as much as 50% off. We're competing with big, giant bookstores that give awesome discounts and have massive online presences. And now we're losing this small little window of exclusivity you know, for DC product. That's, that's kind of the one little nice little thing we had. It was a little, little uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, a handicap for comic shops, and that has been eroded. And now they're asking comic shops, like, we're going to have, like, real conversations. Like, Joe, when you come in on Tuesdays, we might have mm-hmm. to have conversations about, like, why your books aren't ready. And, oh, yeah. And, 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 and you're going to... I'm going to ask about it. You're going to be like, hey, dude, why isn't... I know it's out. It's it's down at Books a Trillion right now. I can leave your store right now and get it. Why isn't it ready? And we're going to be, you know, those are conversations that we're going to have. Maybe not a ton of them, but a few of them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm and not I, super into that. And I... And um, for, as for me, Joe, read them up. Like, like I, I, I don't like confrontation, so I might just, <laughs> I might just go to to books a trillion, just to avoid that that conversation entirely. Yeah. And once you're there, once you've gone there once, like, why ever come back? Absolutely. They have a great selection. They have a trillion books there, Curtis. They do, and and chairs, and probably like a little, uh, maybe a Starbucks right right there. Oh, what's yeah. really nice is that you could just read them for free while you're there. Like, did you know that? You could just go in there and just read whatever you want. How come you guys don't do that? How come oh, I can't boy. just, can I just hang out and just kind of like read stuff and, and then I'll maybe I'll buy something else some other time? Yeah, we'll start selling $2 cups of coffee and add a bunch of chairs. No, that's the, the new model. Yeah, we're going to do uh, that. Thanks. That's a great suggestion, Joe. I appreciate it. Now, yeah, you can use that. Um, I think <laughs> of myself a little bit as an entrepreneur <laughs> uh-huh. in a lot of ways. Like an armchair um, entrepreneur. Yep. I'm also yeah. a libertarian, and I have a big silly hat. <laughs> I'm a really full. I'm a fully fleshed out <laughs> character, and um, I feel really lived in as a as a man. Yeah. No, you've got your plans for how you're going to get your comics. You're thinking about how you're going to buy your comics in the future. Mm-hmm. You know. So you've got a past and and a trajectory. I love it. No, you're okay. a real you're a real dude, Joe. Well, that sounds troubling. You've given me a lot to think about, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out the door now and never come back. So uh, it was really nice to meet you, Curtis. I'm Joe Reademup. <laughs> All right, Joe. Have a good one. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Bye. So, I have another, Nick, 
yeah, I have another piece of news that I wonder if uh, if it ties into whatever it was that you were just talking about while I was out of the room. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, go ahead. So San Diego Comics is shutting down at the end of May, mm-hmm. uh, the owner has just announced, and this is reported by ICV2. This is a shop that opened in 1992, been around a really long time. Yeah. Damn near 30 years. And uh, the the in the... In the announcement that the shop would be closing, um, is a, there's a really simple reason that the owner gives. He says, because of the COVID-19 virus, Diamond will not be distributing any new books until May 20th. I can't hold out that long, quote, yeah. unquote. Um, this is the second 20-plus uh, year shop in California to close since all of this started that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and San Diego Comics had a pretty huge reputation. That's a that's a really well known shop. Yeah, for sure. Um, is this part and parcel to kind of like what to your concerns about what's happening? I mean, there's a million factors, right? But yeah. it sounds like this shop is closing down because they have to sell new product in order to survive, and there mm-hmm. is no new product. I mean, he right. the the owner just puts it squarely on the back of the idea that like Diamond's not putting out any comics, and I gotta sell new comics. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's, I don't know what to say to that, right? That's that's the reality of business, right? You you take your sales from, you know, 100% to zero, and you sit there for two months, uh, 10 weeks even. Uh, yeah, how do you how do you come back from that? I mean, um, that that's, that's brutal. So that's absolutely real. But I think the larger thing here that I was kind of driving at is it's that. it's the, So it's this COVID thing, but this, this is, um, the shutdown has, like, put... Other has accelerated things that were already happening. So, you know, graphic novel sales, especially all ages stuff in manga has been, you know, migrating to the mass chain and to online for years. Right. This is just a thing that's been happening. People have been ordering books online. They've been going to big giant bookstores to get their graphic novels, their all ages graphic novels, their manga. During this shutdown, uh, these these uh, venues have seen a huge, huge spike in sales of this stuff. Right. And I think. My question to you, Nick, and, and you know the question I'm asking myself is like, do these sales that have migrated to these channels do they do they come back in in any at all or in what in what amount or or have they per, have we permanently lost ground um, to these things? I mean, has, has the mindset of buyers it's been changing? Does it th- does this accelerate that to the point um, where we're maybe in a little more trouble quicker, right? As a direct market for a place. You know, that people go to get comic books. And then you mix that in with, you know, the stuff I was talking about with DC, kind of like putting emphasis on that Tuesday release and how that affects comic shops. Like, are there are things starting to stack up where, you know, yeah, yeah. I, things I are looking grimmer I, for the direct market. I, when you start to put it all in aggregate, that's when it gets scary, uh, right? So... You have shops closing because of, and I, and this is, I think I'm just saying what you just said in a different way, but you have all of these shops that are closing because of extenuating circumstances related to this global pandemic, right? Yeah. So you have fewer comic shops that you're able to go to, even longstanding shops that we thought of as like really secure and as pillars of the industry. They're yeah. starting to close. Meanwhile, 
publishers and distributors are making moves to make things a little bit easier to sell their product elsewhere, which you can't really blame them for, right? They, they, there is an appetite for this stuff, and it's just they're finding other venues to do it. But another consequence of that is that these the comic book shops, the stores that are dedicated to this medium and that have like been the champions and the only place that you could get this stuff since, you know, for 30 plus years, those are feeling the pinch because of the pandemic and now are seeing more moves to kind of uh, take away the small advantages that they have. Yep. And, and, when, you, and you, when you put all that stuff together, you kind of have a cascading effect, which could result in more shops closing. And then if you have fewer places to go find the stuff, if you can't even find a comic shop, even if you want to support one, then uh, it becomes more difficult still to justify like the idea of having a comic book shop, of like having a shop that just sells this stuff. That right. becomes harder and harder to justify like on an economic level. Yeah. No, and you, you mix that in with all the stuff we've been talking about for a long time, the distribution model and the way uh, comic shops uh, uh, operate uh, and get their product. Yeah, it's re it really seems to be stacking up um, in a way that, uh, yeah, well, it, obviously, you know, it'll be another month before we see kind of what the ultimate effect is or, or longer, right, of like how many shops ultimately close because of this shutdown. I mean, are we yeah. talking about like a huge amount of stores or, or, or what are we looking at? And once, once that happens, then, then we're, then we're looking at, yeah, people buying comic books, uh, not at comic book stores because they, they may not exist. <laughs> Unless that comic book store justifies itself as its own thing within the community that it is, that it lives in. Sure. And this is, this is something that we have been talking about for years. Like, uh, folks will go to your comic shop or they will go to books a trillion based on a, for a million different reasons. They're going to be thinking mm -hmm. about availability. They're going to be thinking about price. I think the percentage of people that actually care about being able to get stuff on Tuesday rather than Wednesday is not enough to, to close a shop down. And if no, it no, is, no, 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 not in, it, in and of itself. No, not in and of itself. And if it is, then that speaks to larger problems with like how you run your shop to be, to be totally frank. And I don't mean to, I don't say this to like, to, to beat up on any comic shops or to, you know, uh, to, to be condescending. But like, if, if your shop is, is that subject to like all of this stuff adds up and it has real world effects, but if you can't roll with it and if you can't like show the community that you live in, why your shop is worth hanging out at and worth supporting and, provides benefits other than just having stuff a day a week ahead of the mass market like if that's what you were leaning on then you have larger problems uh no comic shop deserves to exist you and i have talked about well, this for a really long absolutely. time and, and no business in general right i mean you have to earn it you absolutely do and that that goes i mean that's don't don't do a business if you don't want to earn it right that should be your driving force every single day when you unlock the door of whatever you you know business you do right is I want to. I want to earn this thing. I want to be the best, whatever it is, comic shop or or you know hoagie yeah. shop on the planet, right? And that's um, and that is a challenge, and it's more challenging now than it ever has been to earn it. Like there are mm -hmm. more, there are more odds. Everything that we've been talking about, there are more odds stacked against you as a comic shop, it, to in order to like justify getting people in through your door. And there are more now than there were two months ago. And it's like the most challenging time that comic shops have had, you know, in a very very long time. For sure, um, that's going to be an opportunity for some shops to get a lot better. 
and to be better at their jobs and to, you know, adapt to this reality where, because here's the thing, at the end of the day, like, I think it's, I think it's healthy for comics to have lots of places to get comics. If comics have more of a, of a presence in the mass market, I think that's really, really cool. But I you, agree. That, that means comic shops have to step their game up. And that kind of excites me a little bit. I, that is kind of cool. The bummer of that is that we're going to lose a lot of shops that are not into that idea or are not prepared to adapt to like this new way of doing business and, and competing in a way that they never had to compete before. Um, it's going to, it's going to be tough and it's going to affect us as well. It's going to affect our shops in ways that are going to be challenging and that are going to be yeah. really, really frustrating. But in aggregate, it gets more people into the thing and it makes, it makes all of us have to be better if we want to survive. Um, because there's it, comic shops per se don't have to exist in 2020. They, the, the ones that do exist, they, they should, the ones that will continue to exist are the ones that are going to like that, that really get it and that understand what their role is in the cities that they're in and know how to talk about this stuff and provide an experience that no one else can. And there's just not going to be room for, for shops that just like opened and were the only place to get comics anymore because that, that reality might be gone. Sure. No. And I, and I hear that a hundred percent. I mean, that's, I mean, we're on the same page there. I, I, for me, and I think you know, you would agree with this. Is I, as long as comics are playing, comic stores are playing by the same rules as these other retailers. You know, um, and this goes back to the distribution model and the way we order and get product. Um, that puts us at a distinct disadvantage uh, against the mass market. So um, that that is the big thing that can change to, I think, keep keep a lot of good shops around longer. Well, what uh, is, what is the advantage that because before comic shops had the advantage, they got their stuff a week early, mm-hmm. but now it's just on the same playing field. Now it's just everybody's going to get their stuff on Tuesday. So how does that advantage the mass market? Well, just as far as their returnability models and all this stuff, right? I mean, comic stores need to have the same uh, terms, I guess, uh, as the mass market does as far as their product goes. Hmm. And maybe that is more distributors or, or whatever it is, but yeah. Yeah, and we're getting into the weeds a little bit. We sure are. It, we it, sure it, are. It bears it it bears thinking about, and it because it's part of this larger conversation. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I I think about it all the time. Like, our our comics as a thing, our comics as a medium, better off for having comic shops in the world. And I think that they are when the shops are really really good, and like that is the work of an entire like career to 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 do that to to build a thing that is really really good and justify and like and justifies its place representing a medium of art that sounds yeah. really cheesy but but that's how that's how i think about it no 100% and uh you know that there, it's it's going to be harder to do that it was already super fucking hard before that and it's going to be uh, harder than it ever has been <laughs> before yeah. um going forward um and uh it's it's worth talking about and keeping an eye on because as as comic shops change and as comic shops go away that's going to affect the way that comic shops that that comic books are made um and so whether you care about this stuff or not whether you care about distribution models and returnability and you know all of the nuances of this stuff like mm-hmm. you you will as a comic fan you will see the results of fewer comic shops on planet earth like one way or the other sure so it seems uh, it's something worth keeping an eye on. It's something that we're going to talk about every time there's there's new uh, info and, and new updates in that space because I think it does matter. 
It does indeed. And you got any other news there, Nick, that you want to more, cover? One more piece of news um, that, you know, we were, we were talking uh, when it was announced about the creation of a new distributor, Lunar Distribution. Yeah. Um, there are actually two new distributors, um, and Lunar is one of them. And all they're doing is selling DC stuff. So Diamond Comics, the the monopoly of comic book distributors, stopped selling comics entirely. They're going to resume on May 20th because of the pandemic. And a couple of other distributors were formed by these online retailers in order to fill the gap only for DC books. And um, Newsarama reports this week in an interview with Christina Merkler, who's the co-owner of Discount Comic Book Services and Lunar. The, this is the, the retailer that set up a new distributor. Yeah. Um, and the, the interview was really revealing um, in that they kind of revealed how this kind of came about and how Lunar is really just built for the one purpose of filling this gap to sell DC Comics while Diamond can't. And that they don't have any other publishers that have signed up with Lunar, and there doesn't seem to be any immediate plans to sign up other publishers with Lunar. And uh, they're willing and ready to do other distribution, but at this point that's, that is like not doesn't seem to be in the cards. Yeah. And I, that that is only interesting because uh, you know it having more distributors could be cool, but having other distributors just for one publisher like doesn't make a lot of sense, right? No, uh, and and they're in a weird position, you know. Um, Lunar, they're they're the way they're positioned as a customer of Diamond for so much product as well. Like um, they're in a weird spot. I think, right, as a distributor to, to all comic shops and then getting a ton of product through Diamond and sort of being sure. a direct competitor is, puts them in a, in a funky place yeah. long term. Like, is that sustainable? Is that something that can can exist? Yeah. So we will see, but it, it kind of, um, you know, the, the, the best case scenario for all of this stuff was that we would get multiple distributors um, selling lots of different publishers and that like we you know we would have more options to go towards which could be healthy for comic shops and healthy for the direct market and um you know this interview reveals what was kind of already clear which is that like this is a this is a stopgap in order to get dc books out as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. um and it's it's not necessarily we don't really know if they're going to be in it for the long haul um and if they are in it for the long haul, it's not clear that any other publishers are going to jump on and, and blah, blah, blah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, and if, you know, uh, I think there was a mention of like maybe smaller dis- uh, publishers being a consideration, you know, if at some point Lunar maybe became like kind of like this distributor for, you know, the under 5% publishers or small boutique like stuff. I mean, that I see that as being interesting, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a distributor, we could get product uh from in addition to Diamond and stuff maybe that Diamond doesn't carry, right? Because I know a lot of stuff doesn't make it into that huge monthly catalog that Diamond puts out, the previous catalog. There's just too many comics. There's too much right. stuff, right? So, yeah, as maybe kind of like an, uh, a spot to get cool shit. May- maybe that could be a thing. We'll see if they hang out long enough for that to become... Uh, we will see. That's all the news in the news.
I've been in a bunch of Zoom calls recently. Mm-hmm. I got another gripe, Curtis. Oh boy, here we go. Lay it on me. I think I got a lot of gripes this episode. <laughs> grievances. I got a lot of grievances. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, lay it on me. I've been on a lot of Zoom calls, and um, I feel you. I, I have this beard that mm-hmm. I that I that I grew during the stay-at-home order, like every other asshole dude on the yep. planet. Mm-hmm. Um, how's your beard doing, by the way? Uh, it's unchanged. I feel like, uh, yeah, it's 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 here and it just hasn't moved. So. <laughs> I just don't know fro- what it's frozen in time. It really is, and I don't know what the deal is. It's gray as hell. I'm super gray. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't even know. It's gray. It might be white, dude. I might have gone white. Cool. I know. It's actually funky. Do you have like a Paul Hollywood thing going on? I wish I did. No, that would be way cool. No, it's no. I have I'm blonde, so it's like gross blonde and white like mixed together. So it's a really it's a shabby beard, dude. Yeah, it's not a good look. So, well, but, I uh, do all these these Zoom calls, and so and so people are are seeing this beard, and I get a lot of, uh, hey, you grew a beard, mm. mm-hmm. and then my mind starts to reel. And do I, you lose do you lose focus on the conversation? I lose focus on the conversation and I so because what they don't say is, "Hey, you have a you, hey, you grew a beard. It looks great." They also don't say, "Whoa! You have a beard and you should get rid of it." But what okay. they do is acknowledge the beard. Mm. So I got another I got another rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Don't don't point out someone's haircut or someone's beard unless you're going to compliment it. Just don't do it. Just leave, either don't mention it at all. If you think it okay. looks bad, a real uh-huh. friend would say, you got a shitty beard. But not everybody's <laughs> a real friend. You're on a Zoom call. You know, yeah. these are this is a professional atmosphere. Uh-huh. Maybe don't point it out. Pointing out that someone has a beard and leaving no comment further beyond that point mm-hmm. is worse than saying you got a shitty beard. Yeah. Is it the beard in particular? You're just saying in general, don't point things out. Don't point things out unless you want to give a compliment. And I think you just give a compliment. Just lie and give a compliment. That sure. costs <laughs> that costs you absolutely nothing. Oh, nice beard. Hey, hey Curtis, uh, you got a haircut. I noticed that you got a haircut. Okay, I'm going to move on now. The end. Have fun with your mind reeling. I love it, man. I love that it it, it stops it, the the your your flow, your mental flow in its tracks. Yes, the mention of the beard. What were we yeah. talking about? Or were or were we on a meeting? Because now <laughs> my whole world is my beard. <laughs> I and love it's it. like it's like the it's like the you sound tired thing. It's just just d- these things that we mention because it pops sure. into our head. Right. You should, just center before you make one of those comments. Center yourself. Center right. your own spirit and think. Why am I saying words? I'm with about my to say this right thing. Now? I'm a, there I'm, is I'm, a there is another human being that exists in the world. It's called <laughs> empathy, people. That's this has been this has been Nick Scripes. This is Super Skull. Thank wow. you for listening. Man, that is that is intense. I used to have that about uh, tattoos. People would want to um, comment on my tattoos when I was younger, and I used to get real butthurt about it. Um, I've gotten over well, it. They would be like, hey, ta- uh, show me your tattoo. What's that tattoo? Explain your tattoo. Well, that makes like, sense to me because a tattoo is a thirsty scream for attention. <laughs> you might it be is right. A, it is a thirsty bellowing into the, into the sea for someone to look at you and talk to you. Oh, okay. Got it. I, 
I've got tattoos. I know what this means. Just like a beard is a thirsty scream for uh, an acknowledgement of masculinity. It's, it's like a, a dare. It's like it's like a dare. It's like Nick, acknowledge me. <laughs> and then and then I want you to, but I don't fucking want you to. But I want you to do it in the exact <laughs> way that I want. <laughs> Or else I'm going to complain about it on my comic book podcast. Holy moly. No, I, I think you've... There it is. Humanity, Nick. We all want exactly what we want, exactly the way we want it, when we want it, and not before or after. Yeah. And we know. want you to know that somehow, psychically. Figure it out, assholes. I don't think that's so much to ask. You know who else has a, has a great beard? Who? Who? Tell me. Old Man Superman in Kingdom Come by Alex Ross and Mark Wade. He sure does. You're right. It's a glorious uh, flock of facial hair. Which is the book that we tell read him. this week for our uh, roundtable. <laughs> hey, Superman, you have a beard. <laughs> the end. Yeah, we um, read A Kingdom Come, a classic, a, a banger. Uh, yep. One we're of our all-time favorites. We're continuing our project of uh, reading older stuff that we used to like a whole lot to see if we still like it. Mm-hmm. And this week brings us to the seminal, classic Kingdom Come from DC Comics. Mark Wade I mean, and Alex Ross published, released in 1996, started releasing in 1996. Yes. Yeah, it took over four years to uh, be completed. Alex Ross painted the whole thing. He did these really elaborate photo shoots, right, where he would like get models and dress them up and take photos. Uh, for like almost every panel of this book is photo referenced in some way uh, by like these live action photo shoots that Ross would do. So it took him, I think it was four or five years to fully paint this. I think it's only like, what, 200 page book? It's, I mean, it's, four, a, it's a big, it's four issues. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, I mean, it's gotta be 200 or less, right? Yeah. Uh, so huge, huge, huge project. And really considered by, I think most as being one of the most seminal DC uh, comic stories ever of all time. Like, I think it's just that, that's pretty much the consensus, right? Is, this is the DC comic. Ah, you know. If you're going to read a DC story. comic, it was originally conceived as an Elseworlds comic, which means it 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 happened outside of DC continuity, so you can read it without worrying about whether, you know, the continuity of Crypto the Superdog, for instance, is exactly right, among yes. other things. Yeah. Um and uh it was released to huge fanfare when it came out, and yeah, like you said, it's it's in the pantheon of DC shit as of now. So um, what's this book about? This book is about Norman. He's a pastor. What's his last name? McKay. Norman McKay. He hangs out with the Sandman. The Sandman is also an old man. Norman is an old man. He's a pastor, like I said, and they've been friends for a really long time. And before the Sandman, Wesley, before he died, he would rant and rave about all of these visions he's been having of the upcoming apocalypse to his friend. And Norman just kind of thinks, ah, Wesley's losing it. He's just like, he's at the end of his life and he's losing it. And he dies Mm -hmm. shortly after the book starts. But the thing is, is that the world really does... At this at this moment in the fiction in, in Norman's life, the world really does feel like it's coming to an end. So yeah, it's spinning out of control, out, right yeah. outside the window every day. Yeah, the generation of superheroes that used to take care of the whole world—your Green Lanterns, your Batman's, your Wonder Woman's—they've basically retired. They mm-hmm. they all aged and they all got older, and their children or the next generation of uh, of metahumans, as they're called in this book. 
you could say that they're superheroes. They're people with superpowers, but they're not all very heroic. They just have superpowers. And they run rampant over the whole world with reckless abandon. They, like, they're kind of crazy. Like, at first, they... It, you could argue that they don't see the world the same way as the old timers, so they protect people, quote unquote, protect people by having yeah. these huge, crazy, dangerous fights in the middle of cities and like traipsing across the world, flexing their powers, fighting with each other. Some of them supposedly want to make the world a better place, but they don't do it with the same like gravitas and uh, respect for human life that the old timers did. The old timers being like the Justice League. Yeah. And we should also say that, like, uh, metahumans have proliferated in this time, right? There's just thousands and thousands of, yes. of costumed, powered characters now. So, you know, it's not like, you know, DC has a lot of characters, but, like, in this time that the, the JLA and the old guard have retired, like, metahumans are just, like, I mean, damn near a plague, right? They're just everywhere. No, look out your window on any given day, and there are dozens of uh, metahumans flying around, beating the shit out of each other, knocking buildings <laughs> Exactly. Over. Yeah. And then one day, uh, this this really powerful metahuman named Magog is leading this team on another crazy fight. And uh, the consequence of it is that Captain Adam, this other hero, gets ripped open in the middle of the fight, in the middle of Kansas. And this essentially causes a nuclear explosion, and it takes out most of the state, and it kills a million people. And this is even in the context of a world where metahumans are always fighting and everything feels chaotic and violent. This is like, this is an intense thing to happen. No, it, it shuts down like uh, the agricultural belt of America. Like it sends the world economy like reeling. Like this is such a catastrophic event, right? It, it The entire world is shook by this moment. Yes. And now that this happens, like Norman, the pastor, he starts having visions of his own. He's just kind of reacted to this and sees it on the news, and he's really upset about it. And But now he's starting to have crazy visions. And after one of the sermons that he gives, he is visited by the Spectre. It's an old yeah. DC character. And he tells Norman, the Spectre shows up, and he says, hey, guess what? You're going to act as a witness to the end of the world, and you're going to have to pass judgment. So the Spectre and Norman are going to travel around the world together, observing the events that will ultimately lead to the apocalypse. And they're guided by Norman's visions. Like, the, the Spectre doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just using Norman as, like, a vessel and his dreams and his visions to take them from one point in space to another so that they can like see the important things that are going to happen that lead to the end of the world. Yeah, and the Spectre, like, I guess he's the hand of God in this story, right? He, he says he's sent by a higher power to, to do this thing, right? Which we, they don't ever really explain, but it feels like, you know, that's, that's what's happening. Yes. Uh, now, one of the first things that we get to observe is Wonder Woman visiting Superman. And Superman has retreated to this fake farm somewhere. He's like tending to these animals and crops and he's all alone. He's been isolated for a really long time. And she sees him and she's like, hey, Superman, I haven't seen you in uh, many, many years. We used to be best friends and uh, maybe there's a latent attraction going on there. And she says, uh, I see you've grown a beer. God damn it, Curtis. <laughs> she says, hey, have you turned on the news recently? There's some shit going on. And Superman says, no, I don't, I don't, I just take care of my animals. And she says, well, you should probably check out the news. And he does and sees that what has happened. And he 
basically comes out of retirement and he restarts the Justice League. And he pulls all of these old classic heroes out of retirement and it seems pretty cool at first. He yeah, shows it up. Does. He, he They're fighting he, crime. They're fighting crime. He does a big Superman swoop in and saves a rail car from going off a bridge. And at first, this seems great. Everybody's really glad that Superman's back. Um, and But eventually it becomes clear that the problem is just too big. Like, this new generation is too vicious. And maybe regular humans don't love the idea of more superheroes just, like, showing up and solving all of their problems for them. Right. And maybe Superman... Telling them how it's going to be, you know. Exactly. And maybe Superman and this new Justice League, like, aren't really equipped to uh, to deal with the new morality of this world. Maybe the world is more complicated than it was in their day, and maybe they're not in a position to just fix everything in the way that they used to. And this leads to the building of a giant prison to house all of these offending metahumans, which is called the Gulag. And oh, what, this, what an impressive structure this is, too. Yeah, this seems like something that is necessary, but it's a powder keg. Like it's uh, you've put all the most powerful beings in the world from all over the world, and you're putting them all in this one prison. Like this doesn't seem like a great idea, and it turns out not to be a great idea because eventually there's a riot, and it becomes clear that this is the apocalyptic event that Norman is supposed to witness. Mm -hmm. The UN sends a bunch of nukes to take out the metahumans to like we're just gonna bomb this gulag. Even though the Justice call it League, good. Yep, the Justice League is there trying to calm things down, but the UN's like, we can't do this anymore. We're just gonna like take them all out because this could spill out and, and, and destroy the whole world if this fight breaks out like crazy. So this is the choice that Norman is is here to witness. Will uh will the heroes survive? Should we stop this bomb? Or should we let the fight and let the fight spill out over the whole world? Or will the United Nations eradicate every metahuman uh, that's in this area? And Norman yeah. must choose. And there's a lot more beats, but that's the up. That's the that's the upshot of the story. Um, yeah. What did you think? What did you think of this reread of Kingdom Come? It's just great. I, I just I for, I forget how great it is. I, my memory tells me that it's the best because I've read it a million times. And uh, and then I reread it, and, and then my memory has failed me. It's it's better than I remember. It, it it's just a tremendous achievement. I think it's such a cool book. I think it succeeds in in so many ways. Where um, does it succeed? Well, for me, the big big thing that I that that sticks out and that I love so much is the the definite you know allegory between classic superheroes and what a hero is and then this new kind of superhero that really arose in the 90s because that's what this this thing is the heart of this book i mean it's got a few kind of big uh ideas that it's uh, working with but one of them is that you know in the 90s there was this trend in comic books that that these super dark crazy kind of vigilante heroes were what the world really needed superman wasn't getting the job done he wasn't prepared to kill you know, if and Batman, you're not talking about the fiction of uh, Kingdom Come right now. You're talking about the pervasive uh, kind of vibe of superhero comics in the 90s. Exactly, right? Like fans, like, why doesn't Batman just murder the Joker? That would solve everything, right? Yeah. Um, and so this this rise of heroes uh, ha- happened. This this you know this dark age of comics in the 90s where like vigilantism with like with with like torture and murder and like all these other elements that heroes were like prepared to do things they'd never done before. And and that's the crux of the story is like this rise, is this what people want? Um, 
and and they did for a time. Like they wanted spikes and chains and spawn and everything is is like this. And so you know, in Kingdom Come, the conceit is that you know Superman and the Old Guard realize like, hey, humanity doesn't want our our type of heroism anymore. They they want this new way, this new style of hero that's prepared to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we saw that play out like in real comic books in the big comic book world in real life. And then the way it's uh, handled in this book, I think, is just spot on because Superman. If the people don't want him to be their hero, that would be Superman's response. I will not force myself on the world. I will retire. I will leave and go do my thing. If they if they want Magog to to you know serve justice to the world, then then so be it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really powerful. I I because um, you feel for Superman. He he's such a hero that he doesn't want to. He he won't kill and he won't impose like martial law which he is is fully in his ability to do right superman could just lord over the world and make everyone do his bidding you know totally um but he he, he would not he just will not do that right so um i think i think this book rocks that that part of it really really hard and and i love it because i was there i watched it happen in comics as a comics reader right i just watched that happen i i grew up reading comics in the 80s and and all the way through and you saw this sort of sea change um in kind of style and in just uh, what heroism meant even right as an idea in comics what is a superhero that idea changed um in a major way so yes book slays that and that's in the background and you don't you know that's that's there um and if you know that stuff it's there and it really works to the benefit of the story but um yeah that yeah, rock when, that rock when you know it's there it's it, it's laid on really really thick Mm-hmm. Um, I read this book when it came out. I read the first issue in 1996, and um, well, I was 11 years old and didn't, nice. didn't could not appreciate any of that. Right, and I, sure. you know, and I came to comics through Spawn, which is yep. like the pinnacle example of exactly what you're talking about, and exactly like what the metaphor of this book is digging at, which is a, the the new type of of person that wears a cape versus Superman and Batman. And and that was my introduction to comics was like image comics, edgy image comics. You know what I mean? Right. And I came to this book at just in awe of the art and in awe of like a totally different way of of seeing what a superhero could be because my entire context was was spawn and image type shit. And all of the the type of shit that spun out of that. So this was like your first big like superhero thing. You had had you read totally. Superman previous to this or Batman no. or if I had, it was only in passing, and I certainly never like uh, followed any of it. And I wasn't, you know, it, it, this was my introduction to the Justice League was wow. Kingdom Come. This is like the first Superman book that I ever read, and um, I could understand it just from like just from a story standpoint, I was just blown away from it. So okay, so here's so this I, the the version of Kingdom Come that I'm holding in my hands right now is this like. Mm-hmm fake leather bound gold embossed hardcover yeah and when i was 11 years old i worked for vault of midnight for you curtis sullivan yeah and you paid me four dollars an hour in comic books yeah and uh hey that was was 1996 that was good money there was it was it was under the table no no paperwork uh was filled out and uh i would do my thing around the comic shop and um, eventually I started saving up 
because this this hardcover came out in 1997, and I had kind of read one or two of the issues of Kingdom Come, and I was just like blown away by it. And I saw this hardcover book, and I so when it would come to the end of my shift, usually how it would work is, and I think this is what you envisioned, Curtis, is that yeah. at the end of your shift, take a <laughs> yeah. Spawn comic. We yeah. have too many of them anyway. That's right. So I overordered. You overordered. Get so. <laughs> Take your two Spawn comics for the day. Yeah. And I started saving up my Vault of Midnight bucks, my $4 an hour in Vault of Midnight bucks. And I saved them up over the course of weeks. Like I really, as, as, and I worked there as often as I could and as often as you would let me. And I would yeah. keep saving them up and saving them up. And I would keep track on my own because you had no system of keeping track what my no. Vault of Midnight bucks were supposed to be. No. And eventually I just showed you this piece of paper and I said, I want this kingdom come hardcover. And I saw your face fall. Yeah. This was not the intention (laughs) of the system that you had set up (laughs) was for me to take the one copy of a really nice hardcover. Yeah. Yeah. What did I do? Did I was I just like, ah, here you go. Fuck it. You, I could tell that, and I remember this very distinctly. I must have been like 12 years old at this point. I could remember yeah. very distinctly that you wanted to argue with it, but could not. That you, <laughs> that, that you saw like the justice. Your logic was sound. Of what I had <laughs> attempted to do. And I had no idea that this would actually set up the dynamic for our professional working relationship 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I relented. I mean, you know, hey. It's, yeah, to, uh, to your credit, you totally relented. And I read this book when I was a kid i just read this version of it that i'm holding right now and i can't believe i still have it i read it over and over and over again it is the most read comic from the time that i was like 12 years old till i was probably like 16 years old i would just like i must have read it a hundred times there was something about it that just like grabbed my spirit with its claws and i could not appreciate any of the stuff that it was saying about the 90s and it was on this reading that out that it became so clear like oh they are talking about image they're talking about Rob Liefeld they're talking about Todd McFarlane they're talking about you know the viciousness of guns and pouches and torture of bad guys and killing yep. the joker that's exactly what they're talking about totally yeah and no my- magog is like exactly like take five Rob Liefeld characters and smash them together like just they just kept adding shit spikes and horns and power things and metal arms and glowing eyes and yeah you know it's every cliche like on one you know you know villain hero but villain really but done through the lens of alex ross's meticulous like beautiful art which i want to come back to in a second but but what's the deal with magog in this book from what we know he did not exist in the dc universe before this no and they don't really ever say how he came to be um he just is one of this this rise of metahumans that came up after, you know, the Justice League retired. The the moment that Superman retires is when Magog um, kills the Joker. This does happen in this book, right? And Superman uh, arrests him and puts him on trial, and he's acquitted. The It is revealed that this is what humanity wants. Magog's version of justice is, is what we want. And um, that, Yeah, Magog that- kills the Joker in broad daylight. Uh, like in front of a bunch of witnesses and Superman yep. does the Superman thing like we don't kill people yep. and a jury's like nope he's not guilty yep and this is after um, Magog kills a ton of people he basically um, he, there's a battle and it causes like everyone at the Daily Planet to be killed including Lois Lane right um, 
he's trying to take out the Joker, and this is what leads to to all this, right? So it's really, really intense, and it further illustrates like how good Superman is. He won't kill, even though his wife has been slain. His, you know, his his friends, everybody he's ever known and worked with at the Daily Planet, have been slain. He still is this like beacon of justice and law. And, yeah, um, and Magog challenges Superman to a showdown. He's like, "How yes. about we have a fight, and the winner has got to leave Metropolis, or the, the or the the winner gets to stay, and the the loser has to fuck right off." Yep. And Superman doesn't do doesn't fight. He just he flies away, and yep. that's the last we see of Superman for many years, for like ten years. Superman's like, "This is I, I that that is the moment where Superman's like." The, I am not wanted in this world anymore, and if they and if I'm not wanted, then I'm not going to impose myself on them. No, that's really powerful stuff, too, man. That really gets me. When I read it, I get emotional reading this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a hell of a scene. Like, in in Ross's art, really, really sells it because the scene where like Superman flies away, he's like looking down. It's good shit, man. A powerful image. Yeah, the whole thing. When you put that in context of the the metaphor of, you know, new comics versus old and new ideas of heroics versus old, uh, I mean, it just, I really, the the instinct is, it's laid on so thick that it shouldn't work. It's such a high wire act. It should be so saccharine and cheesy and predictable, but there's so much, it's played so straight and Alex Ross and Mark Wade have so much reverence for these characters and for this type of comic book, and it's done with such a light touch that it works. It just it works so well. All of these moments, like it, it, I think it works because Alex Ross's art lives up to our idea of what we think these heroes should look like. Absolutely, and how, and how they should behave, like, like in 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 our minds, right? Like yes. the drawing the drawing we've never seen is 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 Alex Ross's art, right? Of these heroes, right? Yeah, and Alex Ross is. It's easy now in 2020 to be fatigued by the Alex Ross style, or it is for me anyway. Like it, because he's been doing basically the same thing since the 90s. And art has gone in all of these different directions, and comic book art is better than it ever has been right now. Right. But but this book is is what is the argument for Alex Ross? Like it is that like reverence for the idea, like the prototypical idea of what a superhero is, and this is the perfect story to to showcase it. And especially in context of when it came out, this looks not only does it not look like anything else that's coming out during that period it's crafted in such a way that it is the opposite of everything that was coming out and i mean it's a book that took four or five years to be meticulously painted and modeled and crafted yeah where and and that stands in contrast to like you know no disrespect to rob liefeld but like you know the that stuff looks kind of slapped together and has a particular look and always looks the same and looks the same as everything else on the stands because everybody's imitating it well, they're doing, and it's production stuff, right? You, you know, this yeah. this is a labor of love, and you can tell it is, right? This is by two, like Mark Wade and Alex Ross. We should say are crazy DC nerds. Like these guys, this is who DC editorial would go to at that time to ask them questions about their characters because they knew everything. This is D- DC editorial would go to Mark Wade and Alex Ross and be like, "Hey, when did Aquaman first get his, you know, 
uh, trident, you know, type shit. Like these guys right. know it all. So they have a reverence. They have like an encyclopedic knowledge of the DC universe. And, and they were building something different. This is a labor of love. Like you say, four or five years is not what you get to make four comic books in the comic book biz. You got 28 days to crank out an issue and totally. then on to the next one. It's just go, 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 right? So, And um, that that style is another choice in the metaphor. Like it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a meta layer of this metaphor because, you know, the most popular comic books in the world are you want visceral, action-lined, pouch-filled, Liefeld-esque art that all kind of looks the same. How about a bunch of American Gothic style paintings? Right. <laughs> I mean, that is it's another answer to like this is how this is how it is and this is how it was, even though it never looked like this. It only looked like this in our minds, really. No, it's uh, it's it's really strange uh to say it out loud because that's exactly it. That that is exactly it. This is yeah, when you get your heart swells when you think about your favorite superhero or their favorite superhero story, there's you're conjuring an image that has never existed. And, yes. and Alex Ross gets it as close as anybody has, for, for my money. I also want to talk about Batman in this book. <laughs> yeah. This was my favorite part of the book when I was a kid, and I loved it in like for totally different reasons, but just as much on this reread. Yeah. So Batman here, he's like an old, broken, cranky man. The, his his secret identity has been revealed, and all of the villains came and destroyed Wayne Manor. Of course and they did. He just lives in the in in the Batcave full time now. <laughs> yep. And he's basically set up a series of bat robots that patrol Gotham uh, and and lock it down through fear. He's basically created a police state in the form of Gotham, and he never leaves the Batcave. He wears this brace on his back, which we're, we're, we, we don't talk about it, but we know that that's because he got his back broken in the 80s and he can't move around like he used to. He can't go out and be Batman anymore. And besides that, he has, he has basically gone to the logical extension of Batman, which is, like, I want to stop crime and use fear. So he right. takes that to the very end of what you would assume that equation would be, which is a bunch of bat robots just, like, running down kids who are out after curfew or whatever. Yeah, or, like, yeah, doing graffiti or, like, yeah, no crime is too small to be squashed by... Yeah, and it's scary, know. and he seems, like, kind of, like, he's gone over the edge, and, and we're kind of mm -hmm. led to believe that in the absence of Superman and the Justice League, Batman has lost his tether to the heroic part of being a superhero because he was, and he's worse off for it, right? He's yes, like, uh, yeah, he, absolutely. He, he's not, he doesn't like, he hasn't achieved his goal. He's lost his tether to like what it means to be a hero. And because Batman is this interesting midpoint, you've got humans on one side who are like doing their best and some of them are villains and they want to rule the world through greed and some of them just want to live their lives. And then you have superheroes, but Batman has never had superpowers. He's always been like in between uh, the metahumans and the humans. Yeah. And Ross and Wade do this okie doke on us to make us think that he's become one of the bad guys. Like we're led to believe that he is, uh, that it, once you see Batman sitting in that crazy basement, you know, running his robots around Gotham, you're like, oh, yeah. this guy has gone evil. And then we see, you know, through these these plot machinations, like, oh, maybe Batman wouldn't be on these new superheroes' side. And that makes sense, given where we see Batman now, given where his life has taken him. And no, and it's... 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just say it. It's classic Batman, right? It's uh, Batman is long game. Uh, Batman has the camera pulled back. This is the thing you can never forget about the best Batman stories. Whatever you think Batman doesn't know, he knows. The camera is fully, fully as far back as it can go, and Batman has the view of all the players and all the pieces. And uh, I think they masterfully uh, pull that off in this, where <laughs> the way they they trick us with where Batman is and what where we think he is, right? Yeah. 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 The ma- the master detective is is on on in full uh, form in this book. Yeah, but isn't but it, it's not that he is he's not perfectly good. No, and, no, no. No, no. And this is in like is as much of this book the, the to the extent that it's successful is kind of showing that this stuff is complicated even when we have the paragons of good people in the form of superheroes. Um like I love in this book that Superman doesn't really do the right thing. Like he's doing his best, but his default doesn't really work. Well, he's, he just seems not equipped, right? He his brain doesn't work that way. Like, there's there's all these great scenes of Wonder Woman, like asking him, like, "What are we gonna do? What do you want to do? We should do this or we should do that." And and he's stumped. He just doesn't have the answer to to these questions. And I think that's awesome. I mean, same with Batman and, and even Wonder Woman. The whole trinity of DC, right? The Batman, Wonder Woman. Uh, Superman, they all are revealed as being fallible in, in various ways. Yeah. And and that is compelling as hell, and uh, and it just works. You know, infallible, Superman is not... Yes, they're fallible in ways that are not, like, what the 90s wants us to think of as fallible, which is that they do evil things to get good things done, which is, right. like, they, they're they're fallible in ways that are extensions of their characters. Like, Superman wants to just do the right thing, which means seeing the world in black and white, so that doesn't work anymore. You know, Wonder Woman is a warrior and an ambassador for peace, so she has to lean towards warrior, but that has consequences. And Batman wants to, you know, uh, just stop crime no matter what the cost, and that takes him to his logical conclusion. So there, there's like an easier, dumber version of this book where they, where we get to see these guys doing, you know, the, this trinity or these old superheroes doing whatever it takes and like acting out of the 90s gestalt to, of, you know, uh, doing whatever it takes to get the job done. But instead we have this much more subtler, what if these characters had aged and we're still themselves, but that's not good enough anymore. And it's so subtle and effective in a way that I wasn't expecting upon rereading it. Yeah, I, I think it. Yeah, I, I, that, that's one of my favorite um, things pulling out of this this most recent read is like I just felt for these characters. I in these moments, these where they had to make these decisions or these tough questions were being asked of them, um, and being kind of. Um, caught off guard by the 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 world that they found themselves in i thought it was it it just worked so well and uh i just made the characters so much more believable i mean you know superman can't punch his way or heat vision his way out of stuff like these are complex questions um that there might not be an answer to there might be there is no perfect answer to a lot of this stuff um it's messy and yeah it's um yeah, humans are complicated. Superhumans are are complicated, and mixing them all together, it's it's a fucking mess. Um, and if all of that sounds obvious, like it is, but what's so crafty about Kingdom Come is that the 
the stuff about justice and the the cheesiness of like trying to figure out how to do the right thing and this really obvious metaphor for the 90s like Wade and Ross use that like those things that you're aware of and those things that you want to roll your eyes at you can't understand this story without those like really superficial obvious things do you know what i mean yeah so they they use the your expectations about the cheesiness of it and they they turn the cheesiness into the point of the book which makes it all that more effective and also makes it like well i i'm not going to roll my eyes at this like that's this is what it's about in a way that's like so it it's so smart and so effective this book could so easily be a cheese fest and it somehow isn't the entire time all the way through because it knows what it, the expectations of it are and it knows what the expectations of Superman and Wonder Woman are and it never loses sight of them even while it's telling this what turns out to be a, a pretty complex story. Yeah, and I, I think they really um, show... So this book stands on its own. That's the really, really cool thing about it is that you could just hand this to anybody. You don't have to know anything about any of these characters, right? It stands alone. But it also is a love letter to the entire continuity of DC Comics, right? There's little winks and nods on every page. There are yep. tons of them, and I noticed more this read than I ever have. It's crazy. Every page is just filled with reference to the the 80-year history of DC Comics, right? Um, but also, you know, it's an allegory for, you know, kind of old comics versus new comics, but it doesn't totally shit on new comics either, right? There is an argument to be made that... Maybe the old guard wasn't doing, things hadn't changed, right? The Joker keeps coming back. He keeps killing people. Like, you know, um, so I think even though they're kind of poking a little bit of, a little bit of fun at maybe like the pouches in the, in the laser eyes and stuff of the 90s, they're also still trying to understand it and incorporate it, right? Yeah. Into the whole thing as, as it's, it has value. It ha- there, there's a reason that this, this happened and, and we're, they're working it out uh, in a way in the context of the story. I, I the balancing act, like you say, the high wire act that they're pulling with all these different cool uh ideas and threads, uh I think it I, they nailed it. I think they absolutely nailed it. I agree. I'm glad we reread it. Um that's Kingdom Come. Mark Wade and Alex Ross from DC Comics. Available everywhere. Reread it. I give There's, it a reread it. I get I give it a full reread and I will say I read the um absolute edition this time Nick which is the big giant oversized one. Yes. And I'll never reread it any other way. It's incredible, bigger, it's an expensive edition of the book, but um it's it's huge and gorgeous in the back matter. There's as much back matter as there is comic book in this That's and it's so just dope. character design after character design. It's script stuff. It's it's so informative and so neat. I learned that Alex Ross did a bunch of these character designs when he was 10 and 11 years old. He's had pieces of this story in his head since he was 11 years old, dude. Oh, so he has more in common with Todd McFarlane than we ever could have known. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. That's another parallel, right? Vernon Newman I, s- exactly. I swore that I would never read another book in Absolute Edition after reading Planetary. Not because it wasn't cool, but because the logistics of holding a giant book the yeah. size of your torso in your yep. lap and reading mm-hmm. a lot of it at once is a challenge. But it this, really is a is. Book, this book would hold up to it. I mean, just to even see that art blown up would be amazing, just to see like the, the scope of that art. 
No, it's it's so worth it, and you get a breakdown of every single character in the back. I mean, it's and it, and Alex Ross's pencil work, like I, his painting right. is incredible. But I never really, I, I've seen a little bit of his pencil work. But holy shit, this guy is an amazing penciler. It's incredible. Um, he can Excellent. really just do it all. So yeah. Well, before we leave for today, next week we're going to read Hellboy, the first volume of Hellboy, another book yeah. that I haven't reread in a really long time. And I can't, uh, I can't remember the last time I read that stuff. I'm so excited. Great suggestion, yeah. by the way, my friend. Join along with us. Do you have a uh, any memories of Hellboy? Have you ever read it? Do you think it's cool? Do you think it's dumb? I really want to hear from the people who think that this stuff is dumb and that don't like it. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Send us an Lay email, superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. That's superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Give us your memories. And before we leave for the day, we are one minute away from being completely out of time, Curtis. But what is uh, what do you recommend? I recommend a That's movie. That's not a comic book and not a board game. I forgot to say that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's right. It's a movie. It's called The Man from Nowhere. And it's uh, a super violent movie about uh, a secret agent guy who works in a pawn shop who gets pulled back into the action. The Man from Nowhere. It's crazy violent. Get ready. Uh, you have been warned. It's easy R-rated, but uh, Man from Nowhere will blow you away. One of my favorite, favorite movies. I may have already recommended it on this podcast uh, five years ago, but brilliant. Um, I love to gonna, recommend things twice. Nick, what about oh, you? I want to recommend uh, the New York Times yesterday, May 12th, put up an oral history of Mad Max in the New York Times. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. It is the actors and director talking about the making of that movie. Um, it's a great movie. It's a really cool little, cool little thing. Check it out. Oh, also, Thank I found you, I've watched a Jackie Chan movie every day for the last two weeks, and I found the perfect Jackie Chan movie. It's called Dragons Forever. I don't have time to talk about it, but it's the perfect Jackie Chan movie. I'm writing it down. I'm I'm totally gonna watch it today. Dragons Forever. Dragons Forever. And that's gonna be it. That'll do it for us today, Curtis. Thank you so much, my man. Hey, right back at you, dude. Thanks for reading Kingdom Come, and I look forward to Hellboy next week. I do also. Thank you also to A Bomb who did all of our music, and thank you very much to Aaron Polk who edited our show. You can subscribe, download, and review The Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also tell a friend about the show. Spread the word of The Super Skull Show. Like, I don't know, get a link to the show and, like, mass text it to your whole phone book. There you go. That's an idea. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can check us out on our website, superskullshow.com is how you can find us. There's also a button up on that uh, website where you can click to donate to the show if you're feeling spicy if you like the show click the donate button give us a buck an episode five bucks a month that'd be awesome it really helps us out super skull is brought to you by vault of midnight earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996 my name is nick weibar and i'm curtis sullivan and we wish you very good reading until next week And then I started singing the Brady Bunch theme song for like the last two days because of it. This is all, it's a, it's a big spiral. Well, sing it right now for us, please. I will. I've been singing it in all different kinds of accents. So uh, this is my, <laughs> um, someone who doesn't speak English natively trying to sing it, right? Uh, the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch.
That's the way we become the Brady Bunch. So maybe I'm like Austrian <laughs> and I'm trying to sing the Brady Bunch in English, but I don't speak English. What do you think? Did I nail it? I think that we are, I think that this is it for us. This is it for this <laughs> this podcast. Um, podcast canceled? I, I don't, I just don't know where we can go. I feel like Ira Glass is going to show up at our house and just completely revoke our podcast card and oh and we have to and, it, and that's okay and it, that's our fault 